electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Market shop continues today. Futures are weak as we get a boatload of data ahead of the holiday. Durables miss, but jobless claims 199K. It's the lowest in more than 50 years. We'll get FOMC minutes later on and more outsized moved in retail ahead of Black Friday. Our roadmap begins with rising yields. It's going to weigh on tech. The Nasdaq's on track to extend its losses on this last trading day before Thanksgiving. Plus, retail supply chain headwinds shares a gap and Nordstrom are down sharply this after both report quarterly results. And Jamie Dimon's mea culpa. What has the J.P. Morgan CEO issuing an apology this morning? So we'll keep our eye on all these cross currents, but probably the biggest uh, dynamic, once again, is going to be the impact of rising yields on technology. Kathy Wood got to it earlier this morning, Mike, and it's sort of been the the main theme of the week. It has been the theme. Um, There's no doubt that that's the programmed reflex response. We understand why. I mean, especially those parts of, you know, low earnings, high valuation tech that have been blasted this week. It's, It's all about, you know, excess liquidity for the to, to, to place toward the future as opposed to capitalizing earnings today. However, I do always like to point out, and yes, you did see a tick higher in yields and more pressure on the NASDAQ this morning. There's no doubt in the intraday action. But since August, for, August 4th was the low in yields for the summer, 117 in the 10-year, 17 basis points in the two-year. You're up to 61 on the two-year, up to 166 on the 10-year. And the tech sector's up 8% since then. The NASDAQ 100 is up 7%. Now, it's underperformed, right, because you had energy and banks doing much better, twice as well. The point being, it's not a long-term story of tech cannot handle yields at this level. It's about where the, the marginal dollar is going on a given day. And I do think that's been the story for a while. Sort of points to the overall uh, theme that in a rising rate environment over the past 30 years, S&P's only declined, I think, twice when there's been Fed raising rates. Usually it's been for the right reasons. Usually it's not the first rate hike that really, you know, does the job on on a bull market. Um, You know, there's scares along the way, though. There's always scares along the way that the Fed's going to be too soon or it's going to be behind the curve. It's, it's, you know, pretty typical of of this environment. You know, interestingly, the way the market is kind of rushed to a mid-slash-later cycle point, you know, a year and a half after we hit the bottom. I mean, yeah. that's unusual because of all the stimulus and everything else. It is. I mean, as we kind of come towards the end of the year, Mike, it is interesting in, in the sense of I'm not sure what's going on day to day, but certainly some of these high-growth, high-multiple names in tech, software as a service, for example, are getting punished if they are, you know, yes. even slightly off in earnings. Uh, hedge funds, as we pointed out many times, have underperformed yet again this year. Perhaps they're trying to make up for it by chasing alpha here in some of these uh, in some of these names and actually paying for yeah. it as a as a result. 
uh, and then piling out. Also, you know, I am starting to hear a lack of liquidity in certain names, which is kind of surprising, but reminiscent in, in part, I guess, what we saw in parts yes. of 2018. Absolutely. Uh, all that's going on. I mean, look, the overall S&P has so far stalled out at the plus 25 percent year to date level. Um, may, we may get through that. Seasonally strong period starts basically tomorrow or Friday. Um, but I do think there's an element there of there was a chase into high beta stuff, uh, trying to make things up. There's always that kind of push pull between do I lock it in? Do I let it ride? Uh, and so all those things are going up, plus a ton of supply. Right. If you were wanting to buy the fast moving new stuff, you know, that's not in your index to try to make stuff up. The IPO calendar has been shoving stuff at you. Incredible. And, you know, the stuff that's been around for a couple of years and is 40 percent off its high is no longer the new thing you want to grab. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Twilio's and the Splunk's and all those SaaS companies that you thought were going to, you know, uh, kind of be world beaters 10 months ago. That's, and we'll that's keep an eye on a couple more today. Or at least Anaplan is going to be down again. That's another name, like an eight yeah. billion dollar market cap. But it's going to be down sharply. Even Autodesk, which is a far larger company, also after earnings. Yes. We're seeing a similar response. Uh, and there it is, Anaplan down 20%. So this trend is is continuing right now. Yeah, it's look, it's a it's there's no doubt it's a choppy environment. Um, you know, and the cloud stocks, to be fair, they have been down it, since that date in August I mentioned where where yields lo- were, were at their low. So that's where the attrition has happened. It's been you know as we talk about the the arc complex, right? And that's that's kind of the way uh, it's gone. It's been a, a, a huge payback period for a very strong period of outperformance before that, into the early part of this year. Right. Uh, Kathy Wood was on Squawk earlier this morning, covered a lot of ground, uh, talked about whether Apple should have bought Tesla when it had the chance, talked about crypto, talked about the impact of Zoom on legacy telecom, but also her overarching call on deflation. Take a listen. We think inflation, we're moving into a deflationary environment, not an inflationary environment. This inflation call is a very important call. And we've been watching inventories. Uh, and I think this is the beginning of the cyclical, um, this, the cyclical correction that we're going to see in inventories and in commodity prices. We're already seeing iron ore down more than 50%. The Baltic freight index is down more than 50%. Uh, But many people are still focused on oil, uh, which, uh, because of supply issues more than demand issues, uh, has been very strong against our expectations. But there are prices that are cracking out there, uh, and we think it's going to become more broad-based during the next three to six months. Uh, She points out this is a very key call for her, uh, because in this environment right now, ARC is underperforming the S&P at a pace that really has only done a couple times on a monthly basis. Absolutely. And I would say it's less of a call tactically than it is a principle. It's the very premise of her investing philosophy, which is that we're in this deflationary innovation driven boom. Uh, it's like the late 19th century. She's repeated this all the time. And, you know, she actually did also say in that interview that oil has gone up against their expectations. So it's not as if, you know, uh, she sort of kind of catches every wiggle or sees what's going on in real time and says that's a reason to rethink our, our understanding. Yes, ARCs, the, the flagship fund uh, has had a tough, tough year. Um, after getting enormous, of course. Exactly. After taking in enormous amounts of assets. When the maximum amount of attention and dollars were, were, were placed on it. And that's yeah. the way it typically goes. Over a five-year period, they talk about a five-year, uh, you know, kind of performance window that they look toward. Um, it's up like 400% or something. And it's outperformed the NASDAQ 100, the ARK Innovation Fund has, by 50 percentage points. Now, 
that all that outperformance and more happened from March of 2020 to February of 2021. So right. it was 11 months out of that five years that more than gave them that that outperformance. So you got you can kind of decide one way or the other whether it was you know you well, kind of she, listen, hit the her, right part of the market at yeah, the right time. Yeah, at the right time. Although to her credit, she sat at this test for yes. years talking about the prospects right. for Tesla in a way that we would say whoa. And then of course and she's she ended recycling, up being correct at least in terms of the movement of the stock. And she's rate. recycling the profits from Tesla as she kind of continues to trim back that position. Right. Stays high. Uh, it's the biggest bet, single bet, but you recycle it into other stuff. But it's a point I've made a, a number of times, and not, not that it's going to be the case here, but oftentimes you have seen some people that we, uh, with incredible track records early on, who actually over the course of their careers lose more money than they make because right. they take in enormous amounts of assets after incredible performance only to have very difficult times. Absolutely. Whether it's after the one trade, whether it's a John Paulson or even a Julian Robertson, they get enormous. Uh, and then they do have a very difficult time. I think in you know one real good analog would be that what happened to Janus, the Janus funds in the late 90s. It was really synonymous with the large cap growth boom, tech, media, telecom, and you know they had an investment process, and it was the perfect one for a moment in time. And after that, it was exactly the wrong one, and that's when they had already built up most of the rest. I think on an asset weighted basis, I'm not sure the average Ark investor is yet underwater because you know there was that big run. We started to take a look at that, though, earlier yeah. in the year. But I haven't seen the numbers lately, but yeah. it was touch and go. Yeah. As for Zoom, uh, she did point out that she was impressed that they managed to post any co positive comps at all after the banner year, obviously, that Zoom had last year. But she talked about uh, its impact on the so-called uh, recall and replace cycle in telecom. Take a listen to that one. Many people think of Zoom simply as a video uh, chat uh, service. It is not. It is becoming a unified communication system. And uh, the, the old ones, I guess the old ones, Cisco and Polycom uh, would be among them. They're going to be ripped out. What we would be doing is shorting stocks that are in the big benchmarks. And when we get into a risk-off situation, what happens is Portfolio managers and analysts generally run back to those stocks, get closer to their benchmarks, and they dump our stocks, which are either small parts of benchmarks or not in benchmarks. Great opportunity for us, as we have experienced during these last few days, to pick up on those stocks because it's simply a, a risk-off move to get closer to benchmarks. And by the way, we think the benchmarks are where the big risks are longer term. Uh, that's that second bite is referring to what she called a long short model they're testing in house. Uh, <laughs> she called it Arc on steroids. Yeah. Right. It's like it's it's essentially like the Texas hedge, right? Which is your shorts are just amplifying, you know, the the, the principles behind your longs. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. One of the ideas behind actually running short uh, exposures at all is not to say in the same fund, but just in general is it allows you to be much more aggressive on your favorite longs. I mean, you could just let your longs just run and, uh, and, and have bigger positions there if, in fact, you mitigate some of the market risk on the other side. Doesn't seem like that's the way it's going to go here, because if you're short, implicitly short kind of quality and blue chips against the riskier stuff, as she says, you get whipsawed. And it is, of course, uh, notable that in the last couple of weeks, this ETF has sprung up that is intending to be short the ARC portfolio, and it's up like 13% in two weeks. 
Uh, we're going to keep an eye on that, see how that evolves over time. Uh, meanwhile, it's going to be a tough morning for a pair of retailers. Nordstrom and Gap uh, tumbling 20 uh, percent plus here in the pre-market after disappointing results. Supply chains, once again, a major impact on those numbers. This is what the CEO of Gap told Kramer last night on Mad Money. We entered the quarter with really strong demand uh, across the company, as you know. And you know, I think what we were dealt was a blow of unexpected uh, constraint from our not top sourcing country of Vietnam. It's true that the bulk of the issues this quarter were supply chain related, about a half a billion top line uh, affected by uh, short uh, stock out and about half a billion of transitory uh, air costs that we're incurring. But we believe the right thing to do is compete in the holiday season to have the right stock across all four of our brands. And that's what we're doing. Uh, we've talked a lot about Vietnam and how important it is to apparel uh, in America. Nike, meanwhile, with some reports that they're canceling some store orders, obviously highly leveraged to Vietnam. They're going to open down three. Yeah, uh, we've been, as you say, watching Vietnam closely. There had been those closures as a result of, of COVID. Um, Nordstrom and Gap both reflecting many of the concerns that investors had going into this quarter that were not, frankly, seen when it came to certainly the biggest of retailers, but even Macy's somewhat surprisingly. And so perhaps there was a sense that maybe they can uh, withstand sort of a lot of these different pressures. Now, Nordstrom also citing labor issues specifically. They also had the issue of lack of inventory for the Nordstrom rack, which is their off price a component of their business, but they have name brands. But if you don't have enough name brands in the store, well, you're not really going to get a lot of inventory at the rack. That hurt them. There was a, a downgrade this morning as well from uh, Jeffries moving Nordstrom to a hold. Just talking about all the different things that they're trying to execute here, because, of course, they are trying to um, shift to a hybrid 50-50 physical to digital sales model. So half and half, essentially, uh, in store versus uh, on the Internet. Uh, and they're just questioning their ability to execute that. As for the gap, as you said, Carl, a lot of it comes back to, it seems, Vietnam and the ability to simply produce from that country. And just an incredible just lack of patience for these retail misses. I mean, yesterday with Best Buy, it's not that, that unusual in, in specialty retail, but it's kind of like, when are you ever going to have this much of a head of steam in terms of consumer spending power, people wanting to get back out there, you needed clothes, and, um, you know, and the stocks were you know, uh, obviously very cheap at the lows, and then they ran a little bit into, also December is not that strong typically for retail stocks. You know, it's sort of they get their their, their wins before that. Um, so, you know, you can look at a gap and say, well, they're always good at, you know, making sure free cash flow is okay, and they're a good balance sheet, and they can probably withstand a lot of this stuff. But it's difficult to say, you know, what are you waiting for? You know, the, the January markdowns, which is, all, by the way, ironic in the sense that everyone was saying coming in earnings season is all we want to see is that they have enough inventory to sell in, in right. holiday. And now they do. And they're kind of getting punished because maybe it's just not enough. I did go uh, into that Nordstrom in Midtown. It's a beautiful store. I will say that. Yeah, that is I, the nicest gorgeous. store on the island yes. of Manhattan, I would think, at this point, uh, given the Neiman Marcus so, yeah. at Hudson Yards closed, right? So, Shoe yeah. collection, and the, they used to have the piano player, although I don't know if they still do. They do. They have a bar down in the... Oh, oh, well. I, I, I was looking for gifts, by the way. I wasn't in the women's <laughs> shoe department for myself. But they do have a bar down there, I noticed. <laughs> Jim would be impressed. Yeah, Jim would, would be, be impressed. I know. I went in and out fast. But. Nice. Uh, take a look at futures this morning. Uh, we're getting uh, daily now of the San Francisco Fed on the tape, arguing for a faster taper. Uh, it's pretty dovish, and all that sentiment is uh, leaning on yields and obviously the impact on futures. More Squawk on the Street from the NYSC. Straight ahead. 
you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Well, there is lots of pent-up travel demand as millions are set to fly for the Thanksgiving holiday. Phil LeBeau is at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. He's got a look at what this could all mean for the airlines in the fourth quarter. Phil. Certainly good news, David. I mean, this is a strong start to the Thanksgiving travel week, week and a half, whatever you want to call it. We could see the level of passengers getting close to eclipsing what we saw in 2019. In terms of the fourth quarter, look, it's a mixed bag for these guys. Strong bookings, higher ticket fares, that's good news. The flip side, well, you see it in this chart right here. Gulf Coast jet fuel up 70% compared to a year ago. That's the kind of cost that is impacting the airlines. They also are dealing with higher cost per average uh, seat mile. So for the airlines, when you look at the airline index, look, the last month has just been a brutal one uh, for the airline stock index, and primarily because of a couple of things. The resurgence in COVID cases in Europe have people thinking, look, will the transatlantic travel have to come down a little bit? On the flip side, when you look at the domestics, yeah, people are looking at it and saying, okay, if you're not going to get the profitability in the fourth quarter, which will be tough for many of the carriers, is this as good as it gets for a while? We do want to show you one chart, and it's Alaska Airlines. And why are we showing you Alaska? Because Alaska is one of the few carriers where the consensus right now is for them to have a profitable fourth quarter. Nonetheless, like the rest of the group, the momentum is not in their favor right now, and that's really the case for all of the airline stocks, guys. Despite the fact that this is going to be a solid Thanksgiving, and fingers crossed, you should see a solid Christmas, depending on what happens with weather and with COVID. Yeah, it's not going to be the greatest of fourth quarters for a number of the carriers, better than it has been, but probably not back to profitability just yet. Recent history here, some of these scheduling um, screw-ups, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, do we feel <laughs> yes. as though they've sort of that they've sort of dealt with that, whether it be Southwest or any number of the other airlines that also saw significant delays over a weekend or so here and there? I like that technical term, David, screw-ups. Look, they got too aggressive, <laughs> and we do think that Southwest American spirit, they're the ones who really got dinged when they had those issues uh, in the third quarter. They have learned from that. They are not as aggressive in their scheduling. They have taken steps to ensure that they have staffing to cover all of their flights. Now, 
Having said that, if we get a, a freak storm that pops up, let's say three weeks right now from now, we're right before Christmas, all bets are off because it is still a very tightly staffed schedule for a number of the carriers. But relative to where they were in the third quarter, to answer your question, David, yeah, they've gotten the message and they are much better prepared than they were, let's say, in July or August. Phil, given all of the uh, capacity constraints that they're facing and even the rise in fuel, which some have argued will accelerate the pace of aircraft retirements, are you beginning to hear the carriers talk more about orders and what that might mean for, uh, say, Boeing? Yes. And they all realize that they have to have more fuel efficient aircraft. Let's say five, six, seven years from now, they really need to move in that direction. There is no reversing the trend that we're already seeing in Europe and parts of Asia, and we'll increasingly see it here in the U.S., where the airlines are going to be required to bring down their emissions. And you hear Scott Kirby at United talking about this all the time. That's why you see a number of the big orders that have already been placed. We'll see that supplemented on a broader scale over the next several years, which is great news for Boeing, for Airbus. A company like GE with GE Aviation, because they're going to be requiring more fuel-efficient engines, that is the cycle that is coming. We may not see it over the next couple of weeks or months, but that is the cycle that is here. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, as we see Boeing back to 207. Phil, thanks. Uh, we'll see what the, air, uh, the lines look like, especially at ORD today. Uh, take a look at the futures uh, on this uh, day before the Thanksgiving holiday. More Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Feeling Santa. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Tonight on CNBC, do not miss Crypto Night in America, a window into the rapidly growing world of cryptocurrencies, focusing on the much discussed but little understood asset class, how to make money off of it, how to avoid losing money off of it. Tune in tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time on CNBC. Opening bell is five and a half minutes away. Goldman Sachs out with a note calling the coordinated oil reserves released by the U.S. and other nations a drop in the ocean. Goldman says the release of between 70 million to 80 million barrels of supply is smaller than the 100 million plus that the market had been pricing in in advance. And uh, I mean, of course, you know, crude oil right before that release had gone from you know WTI 84 down about 76 in less than two weeks, right? So you, it seems like uh, pretty much everyone decided that something was coming, priced it in to some degree, uh, and maybe it was you know to some degree government's gesture to seem like they're kind of doing something, and, and hopefully it moderates on its own, the price. Yeah. Gold, Goldman, of course, has been 
uh, consistently bullish Absolutely. on the cycle. Jeff Curry over there. Uh, Fundstrat, meantime, says the uh, consolidation that Mike mentioned can't be trusted technically. Uh, maybe you get back to 73, but it's safe to buy the dips, uh, Tom Lee's firm argues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 75-ish was also kind of like the high from July, so you're not even really kind of unwinding that whole move that we got uh, up to the highs. And, uh, you know, I do think that Everyone keeps watching the, the supply response from private producers. It's not really yeah. Although um, RSM this morning, Joe Brusuelis, uh looks at the spread between wholesale and retail prices. Yep. It does imply relief at the pump yes. you know, to the tune of 10 or 11% in the coming weeks, yeah. which would be helpful. Yeah. Um, something else we've been, or at least I've been watching closely, and I know others have, is the power prices in Europe because it is important to the overall economy there. They had their second biggest jump, I think, yesterday. Yep. Uh, it's gotten cold, and the wind's still not blowing the way they need it to, uh, and that is something that we should um, we should be keeping an yeah. eye on because yes, of course, gasoline prices in this country are important. That's what we're talking about with the with the reserve, but uh, power prices in Europe could be a potential crisis if if it stays cold and if the wind doesn't start to blow. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, obviously you'd never hope for it, but if things do slow down on the demand side, because there are lockdowns, I mean, they're trying to create more restrictions. Right. We'll see if that eases could, things up a little bit. could cut demand for electricity. Uh, but yeah. I did see that the prices for the right to pollute in Europe are skyrocketing because producers, power producers are turning to coal increasingly. So all these knock-on effects. Right. Yeah. It's a completely different picture uh, regarding energy supply in Europe than it is here in the United States. Let's get the opening bell here and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. It is Macy's celebrating the 95th annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You should have seen Santa's entrance a few moments ago. Of course, the parade's on NBC tomorrow morning at the NASDAQ. It's cryptocurrency miner Argo Blockchain celebrating its recent listing. Um, we, we mentioned Nordstrom before the bell, but just uh, a coda that it's on pace, guys, for the worst day ever. Yeah. And they went public in 1971. Amazing, yeah. Um, as you say, take the, they take huge bites out of, uh, out of these retailers that seem like they don't really have an immediate plan B. Um, Valuation is not as cheap as they have been in the group. I think that's one of the issues, too. And, and right now, we're in this environment where tactical investors feel like if it's not helping me in the next month, we can... We can sell it and regroup another time. I mean, Gap is, uh, as it opens up, the biggest leader uh, on the downside, too, down 21% uh, to start things off. So what was the, what was the, uh, the family's LBO uh, price for, for, for Nordstrom? Nordstrom? I point? believe I mean, it, was, it was in the 40s. Yeah. Uh, it, now it's, a, it's a few years ago at this point, yeah. but I, memory serves, Mike, it was in the yeah, 40s. So we're opening at 24 was an issue. and change. Yeah. Financing was yeah. an issue at that point, obviously, even with their significant ownership stake. But, yeah, that does put it in some perspective in terms of where they were at least thinking of a, of a go private. Of course, they've been public a long time. Um, that's a tough day right yeah. now uh, for, that, for that company. And you know, when you have analysts questioning execution, it goes beyond just some of the pressures that we're seeing right now in terms of supply chain or labor force. Yeah. Um, you know, looking also at, you know, some of the tells for the, the, the most hard hit parts of the market, the hyper growth, you know, kind of heavy hedge fund ownership group. Yesterday, it looked as if, if you looked at the fintech names and the cloud software stocks, they sort of created this little intraday uptrend. Maybe, you know, people thought it was lightening up. So you want to look for some tells there. I mean, you know, Zillow is around the flat line. That's right. one of those names uh, that definitely would have been caught up in a lot of these things. So um, that's probably what uh, the day's sort of parlor game is going to be, is are these sellers that seem like they're either urgently wanting to exit or 
taking tax losses or forced to, you know, to delever or something like that, are they done yet? And that's that's tough to know. I mean, sp you know, Splunk down another 1.7 yeah. uh, today. We looked at um, at Autodesk at the top of the yeah. hour. I do want to come back to it. It's a, you know, it was a, was a $68 billion market cap company. It's going to be uh, down as much as 13%. But it's interesting because uh, it is citing any number of things that we're dealing with here almost every day. Uh, deceleration in monthly active users and new subscription growth during the quarter was driven by what they say were supply chain disruptions leading to inflationary pressures for customers and purchasing behavior as well was impacted by those customers. They also, those customers dealing with staff shortages limited their ability to actually take uh, on new work which meant perhaps not using as much software from Autodesk as well. And then you had COVID and country yeah. challenges. But that's a big drop for, uh, for that well-owned name uh, right. that had, you know, if you go back, has performed fairly well over a longer period. I mean, and of time. course, that's a software company that serves, you know, companies that build things. Yes. It's, it's real-world, yes. you know, stuff. It's not just kind of like, you know, automating some other function that's, you know, already, in, you know, kind of in the cloud. So um, I, I do think that's one of the reasons it's legitimate to, for them to cite, you know, our customers are squeezed, projects are slowed down, things like that. Yeah. Uh, Anaplan was another one we mentioned earlier. It is down as much as 20%. And there again, it is the concern about decelerating billings, 25.6% uh, versus what had been 36.2% for the previous quarter. And you can see uh, losing uh, a fifth of its market cap, a little more than that right now. Um, also, not a great outlook. Uh, subscription growth could slow further to 27 from 33% this quarter. And so that also, Mike, is being yeah. sold aggressively right now. Again, these are high multiple names, and they do get hit pretty hard when they miss. Yep, there's, uh, there's no doubt about it. On, you know, on the upside, you do also have some earnings reactions. HP yes. uh, is, uh, is up 9%. And, you know, that's, again, when, uh, when not-so-bad things and slight upside surprises happen to super cheap stocks, I think that's kind of the story It's here. funny, because HP was talking about benefits, of course, from people being at home because they had to upgrade what they had at home, get new printers, new laptops. Right. And now they're talking about return to the office actually being a help as well. Uh, they've been dealing with supply chain issues also, sure. uh, as you might imagine, at HP. But, uh, but a very strong quarter. And Dell not seeing the same response. Remember, Dell now doesn't, VMware no longer, right? It's, it's pure. Uh, you can see that stock is up 2.5% right now. I'm just looking for some quick research on Dell. Not too much, but it did report what was above consensus revenue and EPS. 9% uh, quarter to quarter growth, by the way, as well for commercial and consumer PC demand. Uh, and that did uh, overall drive a very strong quarter for that company as well. Uh, NASDAQ down a full percent now, uh, again, after doing it uh, a couple of times so far this week. Ten-year, uh, this daily headline, we said she made the case for a faster taper. What she said was she could see the case for a faster taper, sure. uh, depending on what happens. But uh, being relatively dovish, coming on the heels of Clarida and Waller and Bostic, there's a lot of debate about what that would mean if they did yes. something like that in December. It's a tremendous amount of debate. I mean, I think there's not been much of a secret that the Fed itself really is in a hurry just to be done with the, with QE. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's doing a lot tangible. Um, now, they want to stick to the November-December pace that they've laid out there. After that, you quicken it up. It probably shouldn't be that big of an issue. They probably would still want to be careful about saying that's not going to preview an immediate rate hike thereafter. One of the complicating things, we're going to get the minutes today from the last meeting of the Fed. Uh, the, one of the complicating things is the 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 
uh, the comparisons for monthly inflation are super low and easy until you get to March, right? So if you get hot inflation prints year over year, you're still going to be able to say, well, we're going up against pandemic numbers. Basically, that, as Powell used to say. Exactly. Right. And so do you, do you really want to change your posture based on those things, or are we just going to have to wait for some kind of a cleaner read on the trend March and April? Yeah. Uh, the minutes will, I think, predate some of the hot PCE yeah. data we got the last couple of weeks, so I'm not sure how much uh, that'll move the needle. But uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, I wonder, we talked about the retail uh, action. Do you think we're in a... Strange period where double-digit, 20% declines on a, on a single name is, has become sort of de rigueur or not? It, it seems like it. I mean, I keep <laughs> trying to remember if that was, you know, always routine. I mean, I think it, it was much I mean, more is, extraordinary. This has been a somewhat, un, I wouldn't say unique, reminiscent perhaps of other periods, but definitely different yeah. than what we've seen. These moves, both up and down, but particularly down in the for, punishment that many of these stocks for, are for getting. For relatively larger companies. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, um, th- th- there's no doubt about that. And I, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of talk about how general liquidity levels have not been very deep in the equity trading uh, area. Everything is sort of like the options flows are dictating where the, yes. you know, the money is going on a given, ba- on a given day. Um, so I think that's fair to say that it's, you know, also overall equity exposures, I keep pointing out, among all investors, individual and professional, are relatively high. So it sort of seems as if there's a, there's a quickness to sort of call the flock you know, when you've already got a decent size uh, bet on there. But uh, yeah, look at those numbers. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Now, the rotation has been pretty helpful. I'm looking today. I mean, the bank index is only up a tenth of a percent, even with yields doing what they're doing. They're probably tired. Banks have had a pretty good run. They're, a nice you little know, move in the last few Three and a half percent this week. Is it that? For yeah. the KBW Banks Index. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of been the story. Is, is there going to be enough on the, on the other side of the beneficiaries of this environment? Um... Autos, Tesla down a little bit again today uh, as we get uh, some news that Musk has offloaded almost $10 billion uh, since the Twitter poll. Um, we talked about uh, the FT piece yesterday regarding the Tesla financial complex, its outsized impact on options volume. Uh, interesting note out of Morgan Stanley today, Adam Jonas uh, does a mea culpa on Ford, says, I missed the 95% run. Uh, Jim Farley's brought a lot of energy to the company, but reiterates an underweight on his overall notion that uh, EVs are not going to be the money-making business that, that internal combustions are. Man, yeah. Jim would be, if he was here, would be, he'd <laughs> yeah, be a little conflicted because he's a Jonas fan as well. But yeah, I, sure. I would argue, and I have not spoken to Jim about it, that he's more of a Farley fan. I just, I think that would be the case. So, and, and obviously Kramer's been right, Jonas been wrong on Ford's performance. By the way, Lucid, uh, Mike, has still got yeah. a larger market cap than Ford. Yeah. Um, these things sort of create a bit of a base. I mean, Rivian is about $100 billion right now. I've got Lucid at about $83 billion. So Amazing. I think it's what uh, Tesla, Toyota, Rivian, and then I don't even know. Maybe Volkswagen's in there above. Yeah, that would uh, to- yeah, yeah. Uh, below Toyota. Yeah, I mean, now what's interesting today is Tesla, Lucid, Rivian all down because at sometimes it seemed as if it was either you buy the new guys or the old one. Um, but, you know, we'll see uh, how it develops throughout the day. They, they obviously are all, you know, it's a lot of future hopes and dreams inside these numbers. A Ford is never going to get the full benefit of whatever their opportunity is in the EVs. No legacy company ever is. Um, you could have, you know, what Oracle can say we're a cloud company. And part of it is, but they're not going to get the same valuation. And that's always the way it goes. It um, is. It but, is. you know, the market's certainly... clamoring for them to split out yeah. somehow the higher growth business. But invariably 
investor perceptions change because sure. those spin they take a long time to actually occur. And if you actually and sometimes go down it's that quite road, artificial. Yes. Um, where it's I mean, like, I mean, we're talking about the same factories sometimes. Without and, a doubt. And all the rest. Hey, we remember BarnesandNoble.com was, was a public company at yeah. one point. It's true. When it seemed as if online bookselling was going to be the BNBN? growth area. You, yeah, yeah. BNBN, you can do it. I mean, if you're Malone, you do a tracking stock. You know, or if you GM yeah. in the '80s, you do a tracking stock. Remember? Wow. I did, Hughes Electronics I yeah. and EDS right. were were tracking stocks of GM for a while. Right. Yeah. Oh Perot and all of that, right? U.S. Steel had Marathon Oil and stuff. Yeah, Mar- well, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Look at Santoli going way, <laughs> I know, you know, way he's, back. He's younger. Here. How do I look younger than my is. memory? Yeah, I, I know a lot of stuff that used to happen. Today, I'm not really sure. What <laughs> really quick, uh, let's just touch on semis. Uh, they're not doing so hot today. Even despite this news, uh, Mike, on Samsung in Texas yesterday, uh, a lot of people looking at statistics, U.S. used to produce 37%. Yeah. of the world semis. Now it's 12. It's amazing, yeah. So we're trying to get some of that back. I mean, I think you could say that's certainly a net positive in general. That's the, mo- the, the, the motion of, uh, you know, the next phase of, of production is all great. I'm not sure it's necessarily going to be something that the stocks will care about in the near term, but it's, uh, we've, we've seen what, what happens when things are domiciled everywhere else and you have a lot of the, uh, you know, the glitches and the, uh, the log jams along the way. So that's all good. NVIDIA has been the story of the semi group just because it's so big at this point and it's it's really just been kind of given back this week you know had a incredible run so yeah i mean on uh, monday uh, early on it was an 860 billion exactly. dollar market yeah. cap so it is uh, it has given it's back still about it's, 70, it's pretty billion. modest at this point in the grand scheme of things it's a little pullback but yeah still up 140 percent for the year not bad uh, all right let's get to the bond report this morning as well I'll give you another look at uh, how treasuries are faring we've seen we've certainly uh, trading above one six on the 10 year uh, but let's take a look at yields uh, as they currently stand and you can see we're at one six eight we uh, did get personal income and spending consumer sentiment new home sales sorry data is due out at the top of the hour as well uh, what we got was jobless claims this morning which obviously that's an interesting chart Carl that you shared on oh uh, on Twitter Amazing. there that crazy move up to what eight million or something like Remember that those days in March of it April broke of the chart. It yeah. broke the long-term chart because yeah. you can't see the real gradations before <laughs> and after. Yeah. Um, still to come this morning, uh, Sarah Eisen has an exclusive with the CEO of American Express and Linwell Miranda. The masking hurts the experience. I don't think it hurts it at all. In fact, I think it, you know, at Hamilton it helps because if you burst into tears, no one can see. And if you're singing along, no one can tell who's singing along. NASDAQ 100 laggards this morning. You're going to see a lot in the cloud space. I think Salesforce is the worst performing Dow component, taking about 115 points off of that index. But there's Autodesk, uh, DocuSign, Tesla, and ASML. A lot more Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Don't go anywhere. American Express CEO speaking out as that company's stock has surged 41% this year ahead of the annual Small Business Saturday campaign. Sarah Eisen spoke to him exclusively and joins us with more. Hi, Sarah. Launched Small Business Saturday back in financial crisis to promote shopping for the holiday at mom and pop stores. Well, it's an issue that is important to the CEO of American Express, Stephen Squarey, growing up in Astoria, Queens, first job at the local deli, and to Amex's brand ambassador, Lin-Manuel Miranda, playwright, composer, performer, 
of course, behind the hit show Hamilton and a small business owner himself of the drama bookstore in Times Square, where we all got together for this interview. Small biz is key to Amex's growth story right now at the moment for investors because the category held up during the pandemic. Plumbers and lawyers and contractors all remained pretty resilient and is rebounding now along with Amex's entire consumer and travel business. I asked Squarey about the weakness in the payment stocks lately. Visa, MasterCard, both negative for the year. PayPal down 20%, while Amex is up 40%. Here's what he said. I mean, they're, they're not balance sheet uh, heavy companies. Um, they depend on lots and lots of transaction growth. They're all run by really great, great executives who, you know, I interact with, obviously, on, a, on an ongoing basis because we're in, we're in that industry. And our business is a little bit different, right? I mean, our business is we're more of a monoline and uh, we're focused on, you know, consumer, small business and corporate spending. And we make money three different ways, right? We make money from fees we charge, make money from the billings, make a little bit of money from lending. Their business models really depend on more and more transaction growth. And, um, but that's not cooling off, is it? I, I, don't, I don't think it's cooling off. I mean, if you look at some of them have reported great, uh, you know, had, they reported great growth, but it's all about expectations. And, um, you know, when people say to me, you know, we have our earnings, well, you, you missed expectations. Well, I, I didn't miss my expectations. I may have missed your expectations. And the reality is we know a little bit more about what's going on within our business than a lot of other people do. As for that very strong consumer spending, it is not cooling off. Amex CEO giving me some new numbers. For October, he told me business continuing to boom up 8% over 2019 levels pre-pandemic. And that, that factors in the impact of travel, which is still down for that period. Through November, he says, they're up about 20% on retail spending. He says he's continuing to see that strength lasting into next year. I'll have much more from the conversation with the CEO of Amex and with Lin-Manuel Miranda, including the reopening of Broadway and streaming and theaters with his new movie, Encanto, hitting theaters today for Thanksgiving weekend. It hits the streamers, Disney Plus, in time for the holidays. Carl, I know you are a theater buff and a, and a fan of, of Lin-Manuel. It was, it was an interesting conversation about how to prioritize the box office with the streaming release, which I know is a very big focus for investors right now as well. Yeah, uh, he's the best. Uh, he's had a, a heck of a run lately. Going to be very busy in the coming weeks. I am curious, though, on the credit card side. It's just so hard right now, Sarah, to see around the corners because, for example, uh, there's a report this morning that Merkel requested a lockdown in Germany because of their COVID surge, but the new coalition turned her down. So it's very hard to guess on what's going to happen to mobility and consumer activity. And travel in particular, because the airlines sell off as soon as you see these COVID lockdowns. According to Squarey, the CEO of Amex, he said that they're not really seeing any slowdown in the travel bookings as a result of this latest wave popping up here in the United States with cases on the rise in most states and in, in Europe so far. And in fact, holiday booking has actually surged for the first time because we just did not see it last year. It's a similar message that we got from the Hyatt CEO as well on, on Closing Bell yesterday is that they're not seeing it in the real-time data right now, given the COVID surge. But obviously, we have to watch that because we've seen an impact sentiment and planning before. But so far, as far as Amex is concerned, he's, he's incredibly optimistic about the economy going forward into next year. Says we have to watch the inflation story, which we talk about a little bit later on in the show. But a little inflation has been very good for his business. Yeah. 
Yeah. Look forward to hearing a lot more this afternoon, Sarah. Uh, great stuff. Lucky you, you. Uh, Sarah Eisen, uh, joining us this morning. <laughs> Meantime, this Mia culpa from uh, Jamie Dimon, the J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, says he regrets making that joke about his company outlasting China's Communist Party. At Boston College on Tuesday, he quipped, the Communist Party is celebrating its 100th year. So is J.P. Morgan. I'd make you a bet we can last longer. I can't say that in China. They're probably listening anyway. Since then, Diamond said, quote, I regret and should not have made that comment. I was trying to emphasize the strength and longevity of our company. Can't joke about that stuff if you uh, had your business not. in China. I mean, one of the refreshing things about Diamond, of course, is he does speak his mind. This was a quip meant to be potentially funny, but it, you know, it does make him somebody that we listen to more closely, perhaps, not just because of his experience and his position, but also because he does tend to say things uh, that others uh, who are more programmed by the general counsel's office don't. Uh, Jamie's not that person. So, you know, as a journalist, I just sort of wonder, first of all, I wonder whether it was off the record and somebody violated that. I also wonder whether it's going to keep him or inhibit him from saying things that would be interesting because you do want, you know, his input in and dialogue about a lot of different issues. But yes, Carl, when it comes to China, you have to be extraordinarily careful, and obviously they have important business there. Well, that's the thing. You just wonder if folks in, inside the bank are, you know, suggesting that perhaps it would make life more difficult to them to do business over there, than, as opposed to it being a direct request for a retraction yes. from the Chinese Communist yes. Party. Who knows? Uh, the other comment that Diamond made was about crypto, uh, which echoes sort of his prior comments in the past. Buyer beware. I've seen this before, uh, as Bitcoin is um, still hovering just above the 50-day moving average. Yes, and that, you know, most of the coins that are surfacing right now or seem like they're insubstantial. I think he you know, had more to say about things like that. And, you know, it's tough to know. This has been a consistent position of his for a very long period of time. And I do think it gets to one aspect of crypto, which is whatever the solutions, whatever the blockchain is going to be, Web3, whatever we call it, we don't have a control on the experiment to say, would all this excitement be there if prices weren't going, if, if prices didn't go up so much and so many people got so rich so fast? Right. And maybe maybe you can't separate those things. But I do think it's interesting that you have the speculative energy and everyone sort of retrofits the big picture, you know, growth story on top of it. So, yes, he's been quite negative diamond on, yeah. on crypto from the beginning. Not sure why is it B.C. You know, there's another school in Medford, Somerville area that he actually attends. That's true. Huh. Um, that uh, he might want to visit sometime. So, yeah. <laughs> By the way, we're going to talk a lot more crypto tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, as we try to Get our hands around um, crypto and how it's become and will be a topic of Thanksgiving dinners all That's around right. the country. So be, be ready. Yes. <laughs> You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.